time to cinch up, pull your hat down, and ride with the Native Cowgirl Podcast. Here's your host, Cheyenne Wilson. Hey there, welcome to episode number three. I feel like I'm kind of getting the hang of this and maybe not quite so scared. In fact, I only had to delete one little thing before I actually got into the swing of this. So thanks for bearing with me. And I am going to continue on from last week with my little Q&A session. I figured that would be a great way to finish out this third episode, hopefully get through the rest of these questions. And I still have more coming in. But like I said, I think I can tackle those going forward. So I'm excited to keep going. So with that, here goes. So I had this question that came in from Angie in Florida. And her question was, how do we deal with freezing weather and calving? Well, Angie, uh, being in Florida, I know, um, and I did have that question too from Chris, have I ever visited Florida? Yes, I've actually had the pleasure of being in Florida, I think five times in the last few years I've been to Florida. Um, I have been blessed enough to go with my family to Disney World a couple of times, and that was so much fun. And then my side gig that I have mentioned before has taken me all over the place, but Florida is actually one of those that I really enjoy going to. So with that, yes, I've been there. So I know what you guys deal with down there as far as humidity and high temperatures, and you don't see a lot of snow. You don't see a lot of single-digit temperatures, obviously. So I know a lot of people who have pets and, you know, it gets super cold. And when your pet lives indoors all year round, they aren't going to grow a thicker coat of fur. And I'm speaking of dogs mostly. Um, And I see people in the cities walking their dogs, you know, in the wintertime and they've got little paw boots on and they've got a little coat and things like that. And our ranch dogs don't have that. They don't live inside though. And and granted, we are not cruel by any means. They have heated dog houses, but they are outside and they kind of come and go as they please. And cattle and horses are no different than that. Um, we are not going to make coats and put them on our cows. And I'm not saying that to sound condescending, but I get asked sometimes when there's great big storms, people are almost angry with me because I don't have a barn for 600 head of cattle. And the reality is, is that's not a reality. So when cattle are accustomed to bitterly cold temperatures, they prepare well in advance for that. And what that means is with the different seasons out here, a cow is no different than a horse or a dog for that matter, in terms of growing a thicker coat of hair, fur, whatever you want to call it. One of the things that I see a lot this time of year is on our barbed wire fences, you will drive along and you will see, well, we have black Angus cattle. So there's little black balls of fur or hair on the fence line. And if you didn't know what that was, you might think, what is that? But they're rubbing, they're rubbing their necks. And, you know, there's many causes of why they're rubbing. But one of the reasons right now, this spring, is they lose hair, just like a horse sheds in the spring. Literally, if you wear lip gloss out there, I pity you because you're going to have hair in all kinds of places, but you don't want it. So cattle really are no exception to that. And one of the ways that we help our cat, well, here's a set of several ways that we help our cattle. 
Number one, we are fortunate to have big pastures, but also we've fenced them in a way that is conducive to helping the livestock in the time of year. So what that means is we have a winter pasture and a lot of ranchers and farmers have these options. They have a pasture that has deep cuts in it. And what I mean by that is gullies or, you know, whatever you want to call it. We have badlands, things like that, where they can actually get down out of the wind and the weather. Those are some of the the worst conditions. You know, when the wind is shrieking, it always makes everything colder. And if you're getting hit with sleet or snow, that can make it very miserable. So we try to move our livestock around versus, you know, kind of I guess, based on what's happening weather-wise. Also, we always make sure that we have access to really good water. Um, Cattle are no different than human beings in that we have to have good quality water no matter what time of the year it is. Obviously, yes, in the summertime, it's hotter. Water is very important. But it is in the winter time too to keep digestion going Um, and that's a big concern with horses also you guys know that maybe if you're feeding hay and stuff in the winter and horses can't get water there's some very serious negative things that can happen there cattle are different Um, they chew their cud they are ruminants so they have a different stomach than a lot of different animals do but just speaking for that they definitely can get down out of the weather Um, the water situation is a big one we also feed our cows every other day in the winter. And if it's storming and super bad out, we will feed every day. And you might say, well, what do you feed them? Well, we call we feed a product that we call cake. And no, it's not like chocolate cake. <laughs> it's basically um, cylinder shaped. It's about as big as the palm of your hand lengthwise. Um, a couple of inches long and it, it varies. You know, we, we've done alfalfa cubes too, which those are more of a, a square type of a product made out of alfalfa. But we have found that through years and years of feeding our cattle, it's important to have a correct protein fat basis of nutrients going into our cattle. And it is a very scientific thing. Now, I do not have a scientific degree. I'm not a nutritionist. And there are people who do those things that figure all of this out for us. So as ranchers, we are always really um, staying up to date with things and new things coming out. That's why a stock show is, is really great to go to, not just to, you know, see our friends and visit and look at things, but it's also to increase your education in your livelihood. And one of the things going on with the pandemic this last year, I saw so many virtual things going on to help educate, you know, livestock owners. And I thought, wow, what an amazing opportunity really that was because a lot of us don't have the opportunity to drive 500 miles away to some egg seminar, but yet we could sit in on the computer and watch and learn. So that was one good thing that I felt has come over, you know, out of what has happened over this last year or so. You know, so looking at what your cattle are getting, uh, we also put salt and mineral out religiously next to our water sources. And sometimes we do have to feed hay, depending if the snow gets super thick and deep or thick, <laughs> super deep. And, you know, they will paw their way through it, though. You know, livestock is not helpless. Same thing with horses. Um, they were made to be hardy animals. So they aren't lazy. They aren't totally dependent on humans. They will make their way. But we 
as their stewards are here to help them be better. And that's what we do. So when it gets super, super cold, getting out of the wind is that that's super important thing. And then now every well, every spring and fall, we move our cattle around big time, meaning we go from our summer pastures to our winter pastures and vice versa. So when we worked our cattle through the spring, we were taking them to the quote unquote calving pasture. So what is the calving pasture? Well, for us, that is a pasture that has multiple water sources on them. Um, there are deep cuts and badlands that the cows can go down in. And these girls are super smart, you guys. Whoever said that cattle are dumb has no clue because they are the furthest thing from dumb. They have a very strong maternal instinct and they will protect their calf at all costs. So the very first thing that they think about is getting that baby out of the weather, um, which means getting down out of the wind, um, making sure that they've got adequate milk and that they're eating and, you know, doing all those things because calves don't eat grass or feed. It's all about mom's milk in those first, you know, well, few, few months. And then just like a human baby, they graduate into eating more and more and to where they're weaned in the fall. In the spring, we moved them to the calving pasture, and this time of year, we have lick tubs out, which are a mineral-based tub that a cow will lick on, thus lick tubs. How, how clever is that? And some people might call them mineral tubs or, you know, whatever, and we do worry about or concern ourselves, I should say, with the mineral package that we choose. Uh, here on our property, our water and soil is very, very high in selenium, which in other parts of the country, it's very, very low, but we have to be careful about our feed so that it does not have selenium in it um, for a multitude of reasons. And I won't go into the scientific reasons why we do that, but there is a lot to know when it comes to raising cattle and having any kind of livestock in that regard. Um, and the best thing that you can do is just to continue to educate yourself. But I will tell you that the calves are super strong and we have adjusted our calving date back. Um, I do know people who calve in the fall. We know people who calve in January and February. But for us, we do not have the facilities here to run a bunch of cattle through a big barn and things like that. Um, we just don't. And so we work with what we have. And that means we don't start calving until about the 20th of March now. And we've learned the hard way on why you don't want to calve at the beginning of March for us. And everybody's different. And, you know, when someone looks at someone else and says, well, they should be doing it that way, you know, that's um, that's not the thing to do because you don't really understand what each person's goal and mission is. So I always say, wow, they do it different than us and leave it at that because that is the truth. We're all different people and we run our businesses different. We Our lives are different. But in the end, we are all just trying to, number one, earn a living, you know, be able to put food on the table, raise our kids up. Number two, we are helping to feed America. And I feel that that is one of the most noble professions. If you would have asked me when I was in high school, if I would have been a rancher I don't think I would have laughed at you, but I would have never seen how that would happen. And the reason for that, well, I don't know if people will argue with me or maybe my own family might grimace if they hear this, but I was born into a family of two. So I am the oldest child and my brother is two and a half years younger than I am. And in the ranching world that I grew up in, now guys, things might be a lot different nowadays, but I don't really think so. 
The thing is, is that in agriculture and even in the past of a lot of ranching families, it is the son that takes over, that goes on with the ranch. Our family differs a little bit in that. And the one thing that we differ in, number one, is in 2000, my parents left our home place and moved down here to South Dakota. So that changed everything and not in a bad way. Um, Number two, I came home from the cities and met my husband and settled, obviously got married, settled down, started ranching and have a family. I never in a million years saw that happening. Um, My brother, he ranches too, but he has a full-time career aside from ranching. So it's weird how things happen differently. And there is no cookie cutter version here. And I'm not the only lone woman in agriculture. I know that. In fact, the statistics are growing like crazy for women in agriculture. And I think that is fantastic. I think it's fantastic because the days of um, putting someone in a category or telling someone what they have to be when they're grown up based on, you know, being a male or a female. No, you know, and I'll never forget. And this is no offense, guys, but the first time that I met the first male nurse and granted, you guys, I graduated high school in 1991. So things were different back then. I think that the first time I heard that it wasn't that I was appalled or disappointed. No, it was nothing like that. It was like, really? It was like this whole new world opened up in my eyes. And I thought, wow. And guess what? He was really good at his job. Really good. So the thing is, is that um, also when I grew up, there was a gal in our small town in Montana who, well, I don't want to call her a spinster, but that's the crazy word that people used to throw out for women that were unmarried or whatever. Um, She was a rancher. And she was an older lady. I think when I was in high school, she was maybe in her 60s. But I remember her and I remember, you know, I never got to know her. I knew of her. I knew who she was. But I remember thinking to myself, what a pioneer. This woman, there's no husband. There's no other person. And I think she got help from her neighbor friends and stuff like that. But she was doing it on her own. And I thought, wow, that is, dang, that's cool. You know, and I I just remember thinking about that and thinking about, wow, I wonder what her life is like. And I wonder why she decided to do that. And if I recall correctly, and I might be wrong, guys, but I think she was an only child. So there was no boy in the family. Not that that would have changed anything because she kind of danced to the beat of her own drum. And hey, hats off to her. Right. And I'm pretty sure she has passed on by now. And I don't know that. And now that I'm rambling on about it, I definitely need to ask my mom about that. But I kind of think so. So anyway, um, okay. so I hope that answers Angie, Angie's question here on how we deal with freezing weather and calving. And okay, where else are we? (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Here's a good question from Paula. Paula asked me, how do I feel about the anti-meat stuff going on? Oh, boy, I got to. Take a deep breath, and I got to remember that this is not an explicit podcast, so I can't do any of my off-the-cuff cussing like I do sometimes. If you've seen my live videos, you know what I'm talking about. And, you know, guys, I like to just be me, and whether that's a good thing or not, I don't know. But Paula, thanks so much for this question, and she had a little bit of background on that, which I'm not going to expand upon because it was more her private life, and so I'm just going to tell you guys, the anti-meat thing... How do I say this in a nice way? I don't know that there is a nice way. Okay. 
Let's think about this for a minute. Whenever you take a natural God-made product and try to redo it to a human's standards or science or way of thinking, is it ever really good? Good for you or good period? And to me, the answer is no. Now, first and foremost, let me tell you that I am in no way, shape, or form bashing people who do not eat meat. I can honestly tell you, though, and this is where I'm going to be biased because I am a beef producer. So if you happened upon my podcast, the name Native Cowgirl, I mean, I think you would know that I'm into cows and, you know, raising beef and whatnot. It doesn't mean that I disrespect other people's choices, but I am a meat eater. Um, The other part of my family history that I talked about in the last podcast episode, the part that I didn't talk about is the Native American part, that that part of my family never came over on any ship. They were here from the very beginning. And how do you think they survived? Well, they survived on bison, deer, rabbit, uh, birds, you know, fish. So meat is at the core of what I came from. So for me to step into that is second nature. Now, if you are cutting back on meat per se, because you've read somewhere that it's healthier to be that way, I I don't even know how to answer this in a way that doesn't sound, I don't ever mean to be condescending, but I just don't trust people who don't eat meat. Can I say that? Can I just, you know what? This is me. I am one person and I'm just going to be honest with you. I just don't understand it. Um, Human beings wouldn't have survived all of these years. I mean, we wouldn't be here today if our ancestors didn't eat meat. And yes, that is the uneducated, biased viewpoint of me. But I'm telling you guys, your ancestors weren't out there eating tofu and rice cakes. Okay. And there sure as heck was no garden burger on the menu for them. And the reason for that, and I think I am maybe going to say a cuss word here. I don't know if I should or not. You guys, when somebody in a lab is making a burger, that is a chemical S-H-I-T storm. Okay. Okay. I didn't say it, but I spelled it out for you. You guys, how can that be healthy? I want to see the science of how that can be healthy. And here's what I do know. I have mentioned earlier that I have been, you know, uh, focused on weight loss my whole life. I've done a lot of research. In fact, I am a certified health coach. And I was embarrassed of that fact for a while because my entire life I've never had my weight per se under control. But the reality is, is that I'm a healthy, vibrant person. And I think that is more important to focus on than what the scale says or what size of jeans I wear. So I'm just going to get that out first and foremost. But the second part of that is there are so many differing opinions in the medical community. One time you will read something and they will say that red meat is bad for you. Then the next article you read, it says red meat is good for you. And wine is included in that too, guys. Oh, drink a glass of wine every day. Oh my God, don't ever drink. Um, Then there's things that say, oh yes, um, this is healthy. Oh, oh, this is not healthy. And then next week, something else isn't healthy. And the point I'm trying to make to you is that our government's food system 
is severely messed up, you guys. And if you don't know that, I'm going to be the first one here to say it out loud. Any time that when you're, okay, think about watching TV. And I'm sure that 99.9%, well, 99.99999% of people watch TV of some form or another. When you're sitting there at night watching Law and Order, watching Grey's Anatomy, watching Yellowstone, whatever it is, there is a commercial that comes across. And what do you think the majority of those commercials are? It is food. It is man-made created food. I'm talking Doritos. I'm talking petrified bread that sits on your counter for three weeks that never molds. I'm talking about some yogurt product that is so full of sugar that your kids are bouncing off the walls at 7 a.m. after they ate it, or little oatmeal cups that are so full of sugar and carbs, it's just ridiculous. And then we look around and we wonder why our world is so messed up health-wise. You guys, the medical community right now is being paid to give us a Band-Aid to solve the problem. So when you go in there to try to, quote unquote, lose weight, your doctor is not going to talk to you about eating healthier and moving more. At least none of the doctors I've ever seen have done that. What they have done is thought about maybe an appetite suppressant or maybe some other pill that's going to be a magical fix or whatever. They want to sell you something. And that's no different than all of the food producers in the world. They want to sell us on the latest, greatest garden Ugh, yuck that's out there and there's nothing garden about that burger you guys lettuce was not made to be beef or veal or well maybe not veal i've never eaten veal in my life you guys and let me just say that maybe not veal pork poultry like the lettuce and the tomatoes and the things like that are not meant to be ground up and put flavor enhancers and coloring and all of that and passed off as this, ooh, yummy, juicy burger. I'm sorry, but no. So, Paula, how do I feel about the anti-meat stuff going on out there? I think it's absolutely ludicrous, and I think it's wrong. I think that they're doing a disservice to people in our country and in the world by promoting, quote-unquote, healthy products When if we as human beings, and I'm speaking to myself as much as you guys, if we truly want to be healthy and we want to manage our weight, and I'm not talking about take a product and lose 50 pounds overnight, guys, because, hey, I've I've tried to drink that Kool-Aid before, if you know what I mean, and it's, it's BS. So if we are trying to do ourselves a service, number one, we have to realize that we're human beings. Number two, we have to realize that we have a certain age class that we're in. We have a certain physical class that we're in. How active are you each day? Do you look at your steps? My goal every day is to do 10,000 steps. And somebody on a ranch, you might think, oh my gosh, well, they probably do 10. No, I don't. Some days is an office day. Like today, I'm doing podcast episode and I'm sitting on my rear. I've got to get up and I got to bust out 10,000 steps. So yeah, there's things to do. What am I going to be putting in my mouth? Am I going to be, you know, eating a thing, a cake tonight after supper and then be hungry two minutes later? Or would an apple perhaps be a better choice? So I think that human beings, we need to use our melons, use our brains a little bit more. And what I mean by that is let's think back about our ancestors. So going back to my great, great, great grandpa and grandma, when they came here and were out working every day, They didn't stop to have a Snickers bar. They stopped and they might have had a 
steak and egg breakfast. Or maybe, you know, they'd have bread with their meal once a day. But you guys, they were out there burning those calories like crazy. There was no trip to Dairy Queen every night. You know, there was no bag of Doritos while they're watching Netflix binge. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm just saying it the way it is. And I'm also speaking to myself because I know what that's like. So when we think about it, what would they have eaten? They would have eaten God-given foods, things that grow on or in the earth naturally. So that is what I think is a good way to live. Yes, we need to watch portions. Yes, we need to move more. Yes, all of those things. But as far as putting fake products in our body, I'm telling you guys, that's the road I'm going down is it's all about real. Less is more. Let's think about this and use our brains to help ourselves heal from within. So with that, I'm going to end that. I still have some questions to answer, but I think maybe I'll try to get the rest of those done on a next episode or, you know, maybe kind of sprinkle them in in the next few episodes. So with that, I really appreciate you guys listening in and I hope you have a great weekend and a great week. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the Native Cowgirl Podcast. Please take some time to rate and review this podcast and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode.